Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. What's up, people? We got Salute and Alfred here. We're going to do a little Q&A. So, uh, if you guys want to start off, you guys want to tell, tell us a little bit about yourselves and um, how you got in the industry. Sure, yeah. I'm Khalil. That's my brother, Ahmed. We're the co-founders of Decoy Games. Um, we started our uh, journey to the industry. Honestly, we were playing games since we were like three or four. Uh, my first game was uh, Super Mario for the original NES. And, you know, once we got to high school when we graduated, we knew we wanted to do something with gaming. Um, so our first move from there, not without having really any direction, was to go and get our computer science degrees. We just kind of figured computer science and gaming went side by side. And um, after we graduated from UMass, we found we didn't have as much game development experience as we thought we would. So um, we transferred right to YouTube University, started uh, looking at self-help videos on how to make video games. And around that time, Unity was really taking off. And we started working on a game uh, that we called SimSanity to teach ourselves over and over again. We do a lot of different iterations. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, year after year, we use that game to practice and um, get better with our skills and build our brand. And um, a year ago, we actually ended up releasing that game. And that was the game that got us into the industry. Uh, that was like our big first commercial splash. So what was your guys? Uh, did you want to answer to you on that or? Uh, I mean, you come roasted, but yeah, when Subsani released, we were able to release it on Xbox One, PS4, Steam, and Switch. So, able to kind of go through the self-publishing route, and mm -hmm. uh, it just was a great experience. A lot of a lot of different things we learned, and a lot of met a lot of amazing people too. So, did you guys, uh, since you, like you said, you did reiteration over and over and over again? So, was that like feature creep, and then it took forever to release a game, or? Uh, I mean, like you said, he we use that game to learn game development. So during that time, we also were working our nine to fives, which was at like a software sales job, um, which was nice and stable. Um, so we just took our time. Um, right. So it really was like this eight year period. We we're able to kind of complete a certain part of it. Then we're like, OK, we learned a lot of things. Let's start over. And that way we felt like by the time we released and we were trying to get on all the platforms. And that's one thing we want to talk about today um and that just allowed us to to make the game we were able to do at the pace with the resources we had right right so uh and and you guys self-published like what when did when did you decide to do that and why did you decide to do that i think by around the time that we started making some sanity was around like the xbox live arcade time so you had a lot of smaller studios and smaller games, games. You had, like castle crashers yeah. and Super Meat Boy, and it was really just different from what we knew to, you know, be game development. We saw a lot of just small studios making cool games, and they didn't always have, like, a huge publisher behind them. So um, when we saw that, we said, you know, why not just take a shot ourselves, um, give ourselves the ability to, you know, really put our own idea and feel into the game and also control our own brand. And, uh, yeah, and take it from there. So that was, that was really what um, brought us to self-publishing. And also we started seeing opportunities come our way. Uh, without the help of a big publisher. So we figured why not just kind of finish out uh, the ride the way we started. 
Right. I, I, um, I remember a lot like the $1 games, right? The $1 yeah. games. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so I made a game with zombies in it. Right. Do you remember that game? It was like a twin stick shooter and it was like, it was on there. And I just saw that it got released on steam, which is super cool. And it has really good music. And I actually animated on one of those $1 games. It nice. was, it was, yeah, it was, a. Uh, it was not the best game in the world, but you know, it, it it was it was cool. That's 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 what the the business model was. Was those one the guy would pump out one dollar games, bam, 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 yep. and that kind of went to the wayside. But you could still like play those games. But <clears throat> so lessons learned. Like um, so, since you're self publishing, that means you got to promote it. You got to do the PR. You got to manage the social media. Let's talk about lessons learned, right? Man, and there we got Jay. We're talking about lessons learned, Jay. There he is. He'll come in here. No, go ahead. Lessons learned. Oh, okay, okay. I thought Jay was going to pop in and like answer all the questions for us. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't even hear the questions. I had to go get something to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so no we are on uh we we talked about like because they, they launched on xbox one and all that stuff and i was talking about the one dollar games and i was saying you know um self-publishing like you got to handle the pr you got to handle the marketing you got to handle all the social media and it's like if you've never done that before it is a huge task you know and a lot of people do it but lessons learned that's what we're talking about right now yeah man there's a good amount of them um I think the first lesson, I mean, we learned was how important it was to build relationships uh, with the, especially with the like platform publishers. So Nintendo's Xbox and PlayStation, because um, they actually, they offer a pretty good amount of marketing options, but you need to make sure that you are in touch with them early um, and, co and consistently. So you can hopefully plan something where they can give you some type of boost into the marketing. So there was a lot of options there. So that was, that was one of the lessons learned and making sure that we created that type of relationship with them and, and other partners. All uh, right, let, let's dive into that real quick though. Mm -hmm. So coming out of the gate day one, how did you go about even starting that relationship and then building on it? Yeah. Yeah. So we knew right away that there was no way that we'd be able to build those relationships um, from behind our computers. Um, you know, we got out to local indie groups and local shows and, you know, PAXs and stuff like that. But we didn't just go to those places to show off our game and, you know, get people to come play our game. We went there to build relationships, like Ahmed said. So when people came by, we'd shake hands, we'd get to know them. When media came by, we would chase them down and be like, hey, you need to check this out. Yeah. Um, if we if we were talking to someone and they did have some sort of a connection to a platform or something, we kept them. We sold, we sold our brand and we sold our product on the spot. And, um, you know, even when the game wasn't ready back in the day, we did that with confidence because we knew that confidence would sell that and build that network with those individuals. So um, it was a lot of honestly kind of creating those opportunities by chasing them a bit. Um, and like I said, giving those people the confidence that we are, you know, we're not going anywhere. And I think just just to add to that real quick. So it we actually our best showcases that built those relationships were actually the smaller ones. So yeah. it wasn't the PAX East, PAX West, EGX, it was actually more of small showcases like Boston Indie Festival games or Game Devs of Color or actually just like a demo night. And what we did 
is we checked who the sponsors were for the event. So sometimes ID at Xbox might sponsor a small event. If they send one person, then we have a much more intimate conversation with that person. So I recommend looking at the sponsors for a certain event. And then if it's small, it gives you a better opportunity to create that relationship. That is very key. And I see so many developers and they're like, well, I have to get to GDC because that's where everybody is. Right. And it's like, well, yes. And that's the problem. That's where <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah. is. It's, it's so, you, you know, do, it's, you, you know, what's funny is you bring, up, you bring up GDC, which actually is one that comes up a lot. And GDC is a great show, but it's exactly what it is. It's a game developer conference. You go there to meet other game developers for the most part. Um, but you're not going to get a lot of like, especially if you're showcasing GDC, there's not a lot of like media attention to GDC. Um, there's not a lot of like the, the platform guys aren't necessarily walking around GDC. It's a great place to learn and build your skills and build a network for people to make games, but it's not necessarily a place that you go to build your brand, if that makes any sense. And, and if y'all don't believe what Khalil just said, go look at the show floor plan for this year, last year, whenever. It, it ain't like E3. You don't have a hall that's like Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo. No. It, it's engine companies and right. ad monetization. And yeah. I, I, I go to E3, or ECTS, not ECTS. God, that's, that's, how, that's how old I am. That used to be a show. Back um, when I was your age. <laughs> GDC. I don't remember the last time I actually went in the Moscone Center. Nope. Because yeah, seriously. All the publishers, all the platforms, they're they're in the hotel bars, hotel lobbies. That's yeah, that's where yeah. all of us do meetings. Yeah, yeah, we have never been inside uh, G GDC. We like last couple of times. Actually, the only time we went, we just flew down there and um, just met people outside and bars and looked for different like off events or whatever. There was like an ID at Xbox like event or something else. So we just yeah, I. I same thing. Like yeah. you don't even have to go inside inside to get a pass to meet people. And we made great connections there. Honestly, mm -hmm. we made great connections there by just booking a ticket and walking around the area and finding like the all the networking sessions and stuff stuff around. Um, you know, all these people are worried about getting to GDC and getting inside the building. If you really want to experience, just go go and find out what's going on around GDC and shake hands and meet people. I had a, a developer several years ago. They were like, "I need some help." with my plan for GDC, I'm going to go to the conference a day and then work on my game in the hotel room at night. And I went, no, you've got it exactly backwards. Yeah, yeah, you need yeah, to yeah. work on your game during the day and then get out and go network yes. in the evening. And, you know, the, the, the funny part about when you're at these shows is that you're going to meet people who aren't going to tell you who they are oh, yeah, right. initially. We had a guy come up. We were, I was hanging out with some friends. When I was smoking, random dude comes up and said, can bum a smoke? And we start talking and it's like, so what do you do? And they kind of like hung their head and they're like, I'm at Apple. Yeah. <laughs> they know if they walk around with that right. on their badge, they're telling everybody that they're going to get swamped every like right. five seconds by somebody wanting access to it. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those that, you all, and this is the, that's the way it is with, with all events. You're going to have a better relationship building experience at a smaller event yep. than you are at one of the bigger ones. So my question to you all then is, so over the last two years or last year and a half, 
and now going into 2022, we don't know if there's going to be more live conferences now or not. Anyway, mm-hmm. how do you do that when you can't go to an event? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, here's one of the answers here. I think Discord groups have been taking over that are almost these type of virtual experiences, um, including indie game business. I mean, I've been following quite a few. Um, so it not only allows different events that happen like this one, but ones that are just open. I just, I find groups when I just start asking questions or DMing people and you just, you just start, I'm always surprised every day how nice people are as far as just giving you their time sometimes. I mean, the worst thing you can do is like, no, I'm too busy. That's the worst answer. But we've had a lot of times we just reached out, maybe had a question or something. People are like, yeah, sure. I'll be like, hop on a quick call. They're like, yeah, sure. So yeah, use those Discord groups, forums, meetups. Um, they're there. Um, definitely use them to network. Yeah, I think the the statement of like not of, about not staying behind your computer is very figurative, right? It's, I'll, I'll change it to like don't don't sit in Unity or Unreal because you yeah. have to you have to get outside your developer's hat and start reaching out to people. And honestly, today it's it's not that it's not that hard. And the worst thing you can get is a no. You know, go reach out to somebody on LinkedIn who works for a gaming company. Go. You know, like Ahmed said, go to Discord groups. There's a lot of virtual events and stuff now, but you can't just go to those events and just sit behind your computer quietly because you're going to know as many people as you did when you started as where you finish. All these people who are in Discord right now, you know, reach out to some individuals, meet meet new people. That's how you grow your network. And, you know, you never know who you're going to meet next. So it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the industry. And, and, and you know, as a perfect segue into this, uh, today is actually the last gig meetup of the year and so if you aren't familiar with the the game industry gathering it's a fantastic thing that um the guy has put together and he's going to be posting in our discord shortly we've got a special invite if you're not because it's a the gig is a curated it's behind the velvet rope type thing you know like we talked about they can they can contact trace assholes in in their group Mm -hmm. and so but today if if you're one of the indie game business folks you'll be able to get in and try it out and that's exactly what it is it's it's virtual networking and it's amazing um all right so back to the self-publishing part you're working on the game on pc how did you initially decide which consoles to even go to yeah we it was casting a wide net like it wasn't i mean we couldn't we weren't in a position necessarily like let's choose so we're like okay let's just our goal is always to be on consoles so um as Khalil said we wanted to make sure our game was optimized as much as possible but we wanted to try to make as much connections as possible um so we're like okay <clears throat> we saw the xbox live stuff so that was like one where we felt like was we wanted to focus on and then PlayStation Indie started popping up and it's and also Nintendo kind of later. But as you said, it kind of just happened organically by just showing our faces at places. And the first one we were able to get under our belt was PlayStation. And it was a random conversation with a guy who was wearing shorts at the front front of our booth at PAX. And I was talking to it for 40 minutes. And little did I know, he just knew people at PlayStation. And he just was like, why aren't you guys on PlayStation yet? And I was like, I have no idea how to get on consoles, but that's our goal. And he's like, wait here for a second. He walks away, grabs this other guy, and he's like, this is account manager for PlayStation. You know, meet Ahmed. This is what so-and-so. And then we, boom, is right there. We signed a contract with them 
within a week. And then I never saw that guy in shorts again. He And I saw that he had a VIP badge, which I'd never seen in my life before at PAX, PAX East. So I was talking to someone really important, apparently. Um, and he was, like, dressed down and, like, like Jay said, don't always don't assume who you're talking to. Just assume everyone can be important. But it was as simple as that. And then we found out at that point, it it's a momentum. Like once you have one, it helps to be able to leverage that one to make a connection with another platform. But that's how it started for us. I'll I'll just add to that too. One thing that Anna was talking about is that we were never locked into one console. And I see, so I interact with a lot of indies and different like groups and stuff. And one thing that I've seen is that a lot of indies before they even get a dev kit they publicly announce like this is going to be a switch game right which is fine to have that as your goal in the background um but when you're like putting that on your kickstarter like this is going to be a switch game when like a microsoft representative comes across that game they're like oh this is clearly he just wants this to be on switch he doesn't want this to be on xbox or so and so for playstation don't lock yourself out of opportunities mm-hmm. right because if xbox comes along we're like we want your game on our console you better say yes yeah. we want to do that like let's do it like don't say no yeah. I'm, a, I'm a switch game only i will i only know take your opportunities like i said it's momentum building and the oh, other yeah. people look at the other guys and build on that we we act like we were exclusive for each console to the actual because <laughs> 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 we we're like all right let's sweet what's the best thing we can get right so we really want to be on the zoom yeah we are absolutely 100 percent here first and only thing we want to be on exactly and what happens is you have to keep the door open for all those things because one of them will end up coming to you and say like okay well are you releasing for us first or whatever and then that way you keep it open until you see which one gives you kind of the best opportunity for like marketing because some things are like well, we only do marketing for games that haven't announced that you're on something yet. And we didn't want to do that. Like, we want to keep that. And we surveyed, like, which ones could give us the best opportunity. And we ended up, like, lining them all up. And that's how we got into, like, the Nindy Showcase. The one, And it was a good one. It was the one with Cuphead, uh, which was probably one of their biggest ones. And it was because we just, like, waited. And we're like, okay, this feels like the best one. Let's announce we're on Nintendo Switch first before we announce on any other platform. All right, so we got, we got a question, and I'm going to ask it, and then I'm going to hide for a second because my dog is letting me know she wants in. So, uh, Criticrops is says, sorry if you answered it already, but what was your reason for choosing to self-publish, especially knowing you wanted to go to console? Yeah, I think that, uh, like we said, like the time the time that we were actually making the game was the Xbox Live Arcade ga- days where like the indies are really taking off. And, you know, being able to see a lot of these smaller studios make games, like I said, Castle Crashers, Super Meat Boy, um, you know, indies were just kind of taking off on Xbox Live Arcade. It just gave us the belief that we could do it. And then as we started doing that, you know, once we saw the opportunities come in and also see us get closer to the end of our game without the help of a publisher, we just kind of stuck to our guns and said, you know, let's let's see this out the rest of the way. And um, <clears throat> and that's not to say there's anything wrong with using a publisher. It's just kind of where we took our current journey. I'd, I'd say a second reason for that too is we we actually like had a lot of focus on understanding the business side of the industry and we wanted to understand what it meant to publish games because that was something where it was like if we grow maybe we can be some type of publisher so we wanted to go through that entire process and understand it end to end what is it like to release a game on consoles and now that we went through it we felt like that gave us an advantage when we are, if we wanted to decide to go with the publisher, now we kind of know what it means and what they should be doing and what we should be doing as a developer. And it just allowed us to also create really good relationships with the actual, with a lot of people in the industry, especially like the platforms itself. So 
it was just a path that we felt like was best for the future of our company. So the next one comes from, from Neil where what was the hardest part about getting the approval for your games on the consoles? The approval, I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of just finding where these people are. Um, I won't say which ones were harder to find for us, but some of them definitely took a little bit more work. Um, just because I think depending on where exactly you are, if you ever pay attention to like where indies are popular, there's always like a wave, right? So like right now, indies are very popular on the Switch, but not so much, let's say, on like PlayStation. But I also remember a time uh, back when we were started where PlayStation was, you know, the most popular for indies. And I think Nintendo wasn't really accepting any indies at all. And it really depends on like the demand that each console has for those indies. And I think it's 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 worth being very aware um, to which consoles are more accepting at, at any given point. Sorry, I'm, I'm still eating lunch. Um <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a wonderful point because Nintendo in particular has done a complete 180 with the Switch compared to literally every other console that right. they, they put mm -hmm. out because it right. used to be the absolute I mean even AAA publishers didn't go to it that often because mm -hmm. it was just basically we're making a console it's primary you know, games are going to be our first party games yeah. and we'll let some of y'all come play along maybe possibly whenever yeah. that has completely changed. And it's one of those things that we refer to as the cycles in the yeah. industry. Yeah. It, it, it's like the consoles in particular, it never fails. And this goes back to, you know, the days that we had three consoles first launching, whoever was the most successful in the previous generation, was the most difficult pain in the ass to deal with 100%. on the next generation. <laughs> and you can look at every single one <laughs> like this. And now, you know, but along that wave, so now we have the same problem on Switch that we had on that we have on Steam. The right. fact that there are so many indie games on there, it's like, how in the hell do you make it stand out and and you get found in all this. So, I mean, how have y'all approached that in terms of there's so much, how do you attack the discoverability side of it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great point. It's the, I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things on any platform at this point for an indie game. And kind of, as I said before, it's, it's, especially if you get on the consoles at that point, it's plain, they have people that you can talk to on every platform and it's, showing them your progress early, being in contact with them, just being very, take initiative and in knowing like what's coming up um, and things will pop up. And and honestly, they might just do it because your game's good. They might do it because they like you. They might do it because it's just good timing. Uh, you never, you just never know. Um, and sometimes we get unlucky and sometimes you get lucky. So um, that was just one of the things is you do have to kind of think outside the box of make sure that you're in contact with them with them. And um, like we see, like ID at Xbox has a lot of different programs that actually highlight the games that are coming to their platform. Uh, Nintendo's now has like they had an Indies Rex. Now they have the Indie World. Um, they have different uh, kind of areas where they like to focus on different things. And PlayStation definitely is, I think, it's very selective what they do. So you have to kind of figure out when's good timing. So it's about just being forward and just trying to see what opportunities pop up, but um, also submitting to different showcases like Guerrilla Collectives, like a, a good one, um, like the mix, other ones, like just just try to see if you can get traction off those and those also kind of help 
just bring up opportunities, but there's there's never just one good answer. It is all different things. Like I'm not a social media guru either because you can go viral and that can help too, but um, it's, it's really trying to try everything and um, trying it early. Yeah, and I'll say this too is like, um, for those who haven't had their game approved to release or to be released on console, one big difference between releasing a, ha, making a console game in Steam is that when you when you go to release a game on Steam, no one's there to help you. It's just like you're kind of releasing a game out to the wild and it does good or not, depending on like what you've probably like manifested on your own. When you get console approval, you'll always either have like an account executive or like an executive group that are there for you to communicate. Now, if you don't really, if you do not reach out to these people and you just go through and release your game, you're going to be get very experienced. It's very similar experience to Steam, but you are able to reach out to these people and ask them about any upcoming possible marketing opportunities, um, any chances for you to maybe like post your game on your social media pages. Some of them even have like a list of steps of like, if you do this, we will do this for you. And a lot of indies don't take advantage of that. So definitely take advantage of that. Obviously, there's a there's a process of you also selling your game to them and convincing them that your game is worth marketing or your brand is worth marketing but those channels are there for you to use and you should definitely use those and then i'll say for marketing on a smaller scale for people who maybe aren't at that point yet one thing that we did is that we basically like when it comes to podcasts or people who do streams we didn't really say no to anyone right aside from some people who maybe just had contact that wasn't overly flattering but we didn't look at people's numbers and say no because what we were doing is we were creating our own content so if i have a podcaster who has three followers and he shares his stuff to those three followers. Not only do his three followers now know about my game, but now I have a video of me talking online when someone searches decoy games that comes up. And, you know, week after week, month after month, now someone searches decoy games and they just see a list of results. They don't even have, people might not even like read or watch all these podcasts and streams. They just see, oh, wow, like people are talking about them. It could be 10 people with three followers each. It doesn't matter to them. Like that's, they're just seeing these results come up with your name and with your game on it. And that's how you build a brand. It's kind of like that fake it till you make it um, approach. And eventually, like the bigger numbers will start to come in, you know, when, you know, the 10 follower guy sees a three follower guy and the 50 follower and it just keeps building up and growing and growing. It, it is. And that's where we talked a little bit yesterday about press releases and, and what the hell is the point of press releases? Because nobody reads them. And we all get this email every day from game PR, whatever this guy, a hundred different press releases. But it's like you said, it's out there. And when you start doing, someone does a search or whatever, it pops up and it gives you legitimacy. You right. know, it, it's, yeah. that's, and that's also another one of mine is like complete pet peeves and rants. It's why developers need to have a website and they need to stop using the damn Gmail address for an email. You have a website, you have an email URL, yeah. use it and, and build that you know, perspective on it from the marketing side, how have you positioned the game? What did you do different for console releases than you did for the steam release? And did you do them all simultaneously or did you stagger them? Our focus was definitely on the console side. And the reason was because we knew, we knew our limitations as a two man studio. Like we knew we didn't have a large following going into things. So our, our approach was like, Let's lean on people who do have followings and not even be over consumed about, you know, what is our social media following and who's who's actually looking at us. We wanted to rely on people who had those numbers. So um, once we started making more genuine connections with a lot of people on the console side, our approach was, hey, if you can share our game on your social media and you guys get a million views, we don't care if we get 10 views on our side. We know that you guys are bringing the views in on yours. 
So um, that's why a lot of our marketing was um, console focused because that's where the opportunities were for us. Um, the Steam side of things wasn't uh, as as big um, from the marketing side on the console side, which is which is like I said, that's why our our focus was more on Xbox, Nintendo, and Sony. So, how, what channels did you find work? better than others and so you know i'm like i'm not a social media guru i have luckily people who help me with that and we've seen over the last couple of days people talking about tiktok for indie yeah. developers and i would have yeah. not imagined that but i mean yeah. hell whatever works what has worked and what hasn't worked um yeah i think for us twitter was pretty good in the sense of like you don't necessarily need a ton of followers. You just need the right people to see them retweet it. So like we have, I mean, I think we're at like maybe 1500 followers on Twitter, which is nothing crazy. Um, but I, we do have some key people that like, if we get them to actually retweet, then it will like work, you know, it'll work well for us. So that's, I like Twitter. Um, but as you said, like TikTok, there's a lot of things that you can do. I just, it's just whatever you feel works for you. Yeah, I, I agree on the Twitter one for us. Twitter, YouTube um, was a big one for us. Things that are easy to reshare are really big. Um, and then the, I do agree with the whole TikTok part of things. Um, I would have never seen that growing, but I'm seeing more and more games um, promote their games through TikTok. Sorry, my chair keeps sinking. The, the, the hydraulics in it are dying. And so it's just, I keep doing this. <laughs> All right, clue me in. What in the hell do you put on TikTok as an indie developer to get traction? Yeah, I think the thing with TikTok is TikTok, it just like their their system gains off interaction. So the more people who look at your stuff, the more people they end up uh, sharing it to. So um, TikTok wasn't big when we started, we'll be honest with you. So that wasn't a big part of our uh, marketing, but I, I am seeing it more and more nowadays. And it's kind of like that, you know, the idea of a video that just kind of quickly plays itself and you know it's going to be over in a minute, people are more likely to like sit and engage with that versus a YouTube video that says like 28 minutes possibly of like a gameplay video. They're less likely to sit down, press play and watch that till the end. So I think TikTok has this weird addictive nature of like, you know, keep swiping and watching these short videos that works really well for like game trailers and stuff. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. So do you all manage this internally or do you have how much of your day or your week actually goes to social media and, and marketing versus the actual work on the game during release it took it 
took a large chunk of it for sure. Um, it depends on the periods. So like as we were heading to release and, and through like post-release, it definitely took a larger chunk. And then I think once we were handling like post-release bugs and stuff, it was, I think I'd say it was like 50, 50. Um, now that we're a year out, probably much, it's far, far more on the lesser side. But I think as you, if you're heading into release for your game, especially like that three months before period and, you know, three months after period, uh, be prepared to either do a lot of, um, you know, social media or marketing management on your side or get someone on board to help you with it. If mm -hmm. you do have a lot of development to work on. So post content launch, I mean, that's obviously a huge part of, you know, keeping that longevity of, of, of the long tail of your sales going on. Was that different? on console versus on steam or were there certain was one console better than the other how did you approach that part yeah i mean i mean for one just technically when releasing builds on consoles it's a much heavier process than on steam so people probably heard about certification process and that doesn't just end on releasing the first game no matter if you're talking about updates or uh, DLC, it's it's definitely an intensive, it can be an intensive um, process if you're not kind of ready for it and have it planned. But um, for us, we had our post-release uh, plan was two things. One, we had some DLC we wanted to get released. But one fallback plan that we had was Games of Gold on Xbox. Mm -hmm. And that was something we pursued to have prior to release. So we basically talked to them and we're like, hey, if there any way we can, you know, what is the pro actually we asked about Game Pass. That was the first thing. Um, and then what ended up coming out of that was us being able to get on Games of Gold, uh, which were like, okay, if we're able to get on Games of Gold after release, then that's a good like fallback plan. Then we can have something there. We know we'll get the users at that point, at least we assume. Um, and then that would help us kind of release DLC during that period. So that was like our ultimate fallback plan, um, as this was our first time to make that. It gave us some comfort. Um, it went really well, almost like too well, because we also were not prepared for that many users to come on at one time. So obviously we had like online issues and all this stuff. It's just just a much different experience, but it was great to experience that. But, but um, now with all the things going on with like Games of Gold, uh, game pass and other opportunities definitely see how those opportunities can might be able to help uh, as far as post release like it's a good way to use a strategy for that too all right well, let's stop into that real quick so what happens when you get successful and how did you how did you handle that what were the issues that came in and what happened <laughs> yeah so Every time we talk about some sanity, we always talk about it as a learning experience, um, which I think in that it being a learning experience is a huge success for us as we, we gain so much. So something like I'm talking about with games of gold, there's nothing that you can prepare for for that. Like when Microsoft puts a game on games for, for gold, you're one of three individuals and, you know, you can get upwards of a million users in a month and your servers can get overloaded in a way that there's no way you had a testing, especially for a small studio like us who didn't have the means of doing like large, you know, QA server testing. It was just certain things that we've never seen before. Um, but like, again, we took it as a learning experience. There are certain things that we ran into development wise and marketing wise that, you know, I would approach it completely different the next time around. So um, I, I guess, I, I guess I say that just to let everyone know, you know, be prepared to learn. You're going to go through certain things that I can tell you about today. Um, and I can warn you about 10 times over and you're not going to understand it until it actually hits you. 
and it slaps you in the face and you're going to like rub it off the next morning and be like, all right, I'm ready to go. But yeah, there's a lot of things that definitely hit us um, that, you know, that, that was the only way we were going to be able to be able to learn through them. But everything is like on AWS and it's automatically scalable. And <laughs> why didn't it work? What what happened? Uh, we we always tell a funny joke about one of the one of the funny issues went through through certification. Again, we don't have we never had the means of doing like large QA uh, testing, and we had a very specific error that was that only occurred on Xbox if the two players were playing on India servers. And um, we like failed. We failed our certification because of that. And they're like, you guys need to fix this and find out what's going on. Which, by the way, to recreate that, as a reminder, we need to have two people playing <laughs> Xbox on India servers. And it's like, you know, what are we supposed to do? And, you know, we're sitting there going, guys, can you help us out with something? Can you guys get some resources out for us? Like, we, we do not have the means to handle this. But, you know, it's... It's kind of like funny stories like that that weren't as funny when they were happening, but I can we can go back and laugh about them now. But yeah, uh, so, I mean, <laughs> how how did you how did you deal with that? I mean, we always talk about that that UPS commercial several years ago, and they had the little the, yeah. the little company, and they're like, "We sold one," and then yeah. it's like, and they're like, "Oh shit!" So <laughs> how do two guys from the U.S. who run an indie studio with no QA and testing, you know, facility? fix a bug that happens yeah. in India. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so what happened was, and this, not even just that much, like, cause we didn't have four people readily available to even do online testing. That game's a four player online game. So even to do like the simplest tests, um, you know, I, I, looking back at it, I definitely would have like had a company like go and actually do it. But for the India one, um, it was we just had to keep testing as many cases as possible until we felt like okay maybe this is what they're running into so i mean we never got people in india obviously yeah. to help us and we asked yeah. but we're like okay let me just keep testing four players and try all these cases and eventually we found like a certain location bug that was coming from like our third party server that was not like um it was like a per, uh, we took like a latitude and longitude number and it was like weird because a certain number messed it up and it was like okay maybe this is it and i i that was like my area of the coding so i always told clue i'm like i think this is it and then it's like failed it's like i think this is it and it was like four times we had to try and then when it finally came back we're like passed we're like thank you yeah, and we're yeah. not net code developers or anything like that these were all things completely new to us but <laughs> yeah. you can imagine how helpless you feel sometimes in these situations and yeah. um that, that's and again that's one of the challenges with with consoles especially since everything's behind nda so like you can only talk to people who work behind nda which like severely shrinks the network of people you can work with i'm not trying to scare one out of console development it's very rewarding but i'm just like <laughs> these are certain things that can be a little bit Camille's over there cold calling new delhi going yeah. uh if you got an xbox <laughs> yeah but i mean xbox? <laughs> right. but i mean we we did we were we were contacting xbox and we're like can you guys give us people you know, and again, this was during like COVID. So there were just resources in general were tight. So we felt for them and it was, it was a tough situation, but yeah. yeah was, was our meeting room looked crazy. Cause I had like Nintendo, like dev kids, like four of them lined up and I'm like pressing each yeah. one. To lock in. Oh. <laughs> it just looked like a whole server room of just testing, queuing and all that's, I would have absolutely, like looking back, I would have absolutely paid 
probably a decent price for some like testing QA studio to do because it's just it was just a ridiculous it was ridiculous yeah. assumption for us to be able to do it with two people using a game like that. It, it wasn't a smart decision, but do not underestimate QA testing is uh, yeah. one of the biggest lessons for us. <laughs> It's not something that you, you need to point out to scare people, but it's something that people need to be definitely aware of. Yeah, It's like lot checks are at, at Nintendo. They give you some crazy ass situations. It's, it's like, well, <laughs> if you jumped in the third pipe on level two, three of Mario and your dog bit the screen at the same time the power went out, does it crash? Yeah. And it's you just have to you have to test it you have to be ready for it because here's the shitty yeah. thing that people don't know if you if there's 80 different things are testing and you pass 79 of them and fail yes once, that's what i was about to say yeah you fail everything <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no a minuses there's no, no. Yeah, <laughs> no only a plus yeah yeah only hundreds on tests that's it that's the only thing that gets passed yeah i i, I was i forgot who we were talking to yesterday but we were joking around about it and we know that we were frustrated because I think we were hanging on one bug for a solid like four weeks or so um, that they kept rejecting back to us. And they're like, no, you have to 100% test it. And when I say that, I'm not pointing to any specific console. I just want to say that as well. But they kept saying that there was one bug that, you know, we we're hanging on. Like, every, they're like, every game passes with 100% pass completion. We're like, that's impossible. Well, like, we know like a lot of AAA games are getting waivers on different games, on different things. But we're like, okay, we get it. We'll have to 100% pass it. But yes, you have to pass every single bug. But unless you're EA. Unless you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless you're like cyberpunk right? yeah uh, yeah exactly it's like we know this shit and legit because <laughs> that you know so uh all right be aware it says what's a good plan to publish your games what is essential to have the approval by console companies and what you should avoid plus what are some errors that you you made that you'd fix for the next one yeah yeah i think i think just in general a good plan is the kind of the dates and scheduling and they actually the cool thing about i forgot which one exactly but one of the platforms actually laid out a nice like scheduling plan for when you should think about start thinking about marketing think think about release um and you'd be surprised but you should probably give about six to eight months yeah. like after you're done developing your game to like start your publishing plan like obviously people think like developing up to the last minutes like releasing next week that is a huge mistake. Like you should be like done with your game. And I really like done with your game. And then probably six to eight months planning to release. And that's, and it's like, even, and that's a plan every studio tries to do at least. And it really is the best way to do it. And I know it might sound ridiculous, but cause you're, you need to give yourself time to, uh, cause there's some opportunities they're not even going to give you unless you pass certification, which yep. we didn't find that out till later. So like getting your game past certification, like you're, if you now pass certification and now you get to start marketing, like now you're, you're like in control. Yeah. Like you really are. Like if you're in that position, man, you'll get, you'll probably get on the Nindy showcase and the Xbox thing and all that. Cause like you're certified, you're good. Game's complete. They know it's coming out like you're you're in the driver's seat but what happens is obviously budgets uh time crunch that like all that stuff we understand but if you really want to plan right that's how to be like a power seat as an indie is like we have have a huge have a plan after that i know it's not an easy thing because we don't have like money flowing in to keep us like alive in that part that'd be that's like the the ultimate goal 
We have no money, so let's postpone our launch by six months while we plan this out, and then we'll figure it out at that yeah. point. Um, I'd also add, don't don't announce release dates until preferably <laughs> until you pass over years. That was like one of our errors. That, not that it's a huge deal now, but uh-huh. um, yeah, there's like don't be like, yeah, my game's coming out March seventh, twenty twenty three, and you don't even know where you are in development or if it's really- <laughs> yeah, just wait until you're hundred percent sure, and then plan ahead. Um, it just looks better, and you're not you're not gonna have as many people be like, why is it not out? Why is it out yet? Like, yeah. that's one of the worst questions you can get when you're like under fire. Use coming soon as long as you can, and exactly. then ease yourself into a year and then ease yourself into a quarter or time or, or season and then month and day yeah. coming, coming soon with a question mark no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> the, the good news for for indie teams is the reality of marketing that existed even five years ago doesn't exist now where you saw you need to start marketing 12 six months in, in advance yeah this isn't to say you shouldn't start community building and you shouldn't be right. you know, talking about your game, yeah. but it's much more acceptable to even do a release announcement 30 days before it goes than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, it's a balancing act. It's like, yes, you need to be early on telling people that this game exists, yeah. but you can get away with not doing the heavy handed full bore marketing until a little closer to launch. Right. Ideally when you're actually going to launch. Right. All right. Uh, I got a question from Facebook. Do you feel it's possible to start building valuable relationships with console platforms before you have much to show off, especially in the indie space where many people don't have a library or portfolio? Um, I mean, it's possible. Uh, it's not going to be, it's, it's always easier if you have something to show, right? Everything like that networking is always value-based, right? Like you come to the table and you're like, Hey, this is what I have. And another friend's like, Hey, this is what I have. And you try to find a way to put it together. Now, maybe what you have is just a very, uh, genuine personality and you're making like personal connections with individuals that you've met along the way. And that does go a long way. So I'm not belittling that, but, um, I think you do yourself a lot more favors if you build your value so that you bring something to the table to make yourself memorable while you are building those networks. Another thing to keep in mind is something to show can literally be something as simple as, you know, a GIF and a tweet because we start monitoring this for our publisher clients. We start monitoring this for a variety of things that we do over here on the consulting side. And it can literally start with, you know, oh my God, we saw, you know, I'm, I'm always talking about how awesome Pitchy Game is, but we saw something on Pitchy Game and this is something we need to keep an eye on and mm. we'll note it, you know, on a spreadsheet or in our CRM somewhere. It's like, keep, keep an eye out for this. The other thing that I will extremely emphasize to developers is do not ignore opportunities that come to you. Yep. Even if you're not ready to talk to a publisher, if one reaches out, don't just ignore them and blow them oh, off yeah, yeah. because you don't know what that's going to turn into. I agree. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you, if you did have to go back and do something completely different, what would it be? Um, cool. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I know it's like a, the always the cheesy answer, but 
like 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 I said, some Sandy's was a learning experience. So I'm I'm glad we did the things that the way that we did because from my point of view, that was our best way to learn the lessons that we did and put ourselves in the position that we are now. Um, and I'm also aware that like the way this works isn't like hitting a home run right out the bat. Like we we understand that, and that's at any phase of development. So um, I'm glad we made the mistakes we did. I'm glad we hit the successes that we did along the way because I don't think that we'd be where we are today without those mistakes. Yeah, I know. I agree. Um, maybe it's just our personality, but the, the, here's the honest truth is one amazing thing that happened after we kind of went through those experiences, which we shared was soon after we found out that big publishers, trusted ones, the one that worked well, they didn't really care as much how many copies we sold. They were just amazed at the fact we released the game on all platforms. So we were in like an extremely strong position after we released and we had all these publishers like, what do you guys work on next? Let us know, like, let's talk. So we're like, we end up now, we're in a position that we felt we did what's gonna take us like another five to eight years maybe to be in. And we're hiring up to a team of 15, we're funded, we're ready to go for our next game. And we're gonna take, we're taking a publishing route now because we're just building a much bigger game and me and Khalil can't do this on our own. Um, but if we didn't do it the ways that we did it before and tried all these platforms and did all these things and now we know our mistakes, I don't think we would be in the position we're in now. So I have, I have no regrets on all the things and great things that happen and the mistakes that happen. You, you don't learn anything when you do it right. Right, sure. All right, so here's my question. I mean, this is always the one that burns in the back of my head. <laughs> How do you make a company work for this long when you are working with your brother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that here's the thing. Like me and my brother have done everything together since we were young. So um, even whether it's like good times or bad times, we have that trust with each other that like we'll still be here the next day. Right. We're, like I'm still going to be his brother tomorrow, regardless of if <laughs> games goes under fire yeah. tomorrow. Can't lose um, yeah. So it's like it's that level of trust that sometimes uh and i know i'm sp probably speaking the truth for a lot of indies that you don't know when you are teaming up with someone that maybe you just met a year ago or you know maybe a friend that you met at a game jam um you know we felt like we had that chemistry of knowing um how to work with each other how to push each other's buttons you know each other's strengths and weaknesses like we there was no questions there so the question for us was just like what's what's the next thing we have to accomplish together so i think for us it was really the trust that helped for sure yeah it was a blessing Nobody's bringing up like the old girlfriend that the other one stole when they were in high school. And it's like, I, yes, I do. I trust you. I trust that you're the same dumbass that did this when we were 15. Yes. That's, uh... for sure, for sure. My wife has famously told me, I love what you do. I support what you do. I will never work with you. <laughs> and it's like... and sure. that's, that's perfectly fine because I can't do what she does and we, we get along great like that. So here's your opportunity. We got about five more minutes before we're going to dive into our, our next one. Are you looking for a publisher right now? <clears throat> yeah. So we actually, like kind of said, we, we just announced that we're hiring. Um, so we, we have, we're making like our next, our, dream game which we didn't think we'd be in a position to do so so we did secure a publisher for that game um and we're just really excited with the with the publisher and what like the amount of creativity we have and the this level of being able to kind of take our time and build the game we want to build 
So, um, so yeah, we secured our publisher. We actually just opened up job postings last couple weeks ago. So if you're interested in working for Decoy Games, uh, promise the coolest video game company you ever work for, it's all remote jobs. Um, and we go to decoygames.com slash jobs. We have, I just posted it for you. It's everywhere. There you, go. there you go. You got Unity developers, 3D artists, um, concept artists, uh, tech artists. So we are highlighting a whole gamut. So definitely apply. And we, we're also not really a company that's like, you do release five published games on AAA levels in order to apply. Now we're not really like that at all. We're actually, we love looking at portfolios and seeing just what you do. We want passionate people. So definitely apply. One of the points that you brought up earlier is it's absolutely key and a lot of developers don't realize the significance of simply having something shipped. Yes, it yes, yes, yes. doesn't matter if it was on itch or if it was on Steam and sold four copies. The fact that you have wrapped development on a game, shipped it to people in a state that was playable is a huge deal and i don't want yes. any developer out there yeah. not taking that seriously because because it, it really and truly is and to be able to do that self-publishing your first game on consoles as well you two are in the top five percent i mean that's just it's not something that a lot of people can pull off do pull off or even try to pull off so part of it is y'all are getting crazy for even doing it in the first place <laughs> but you did it and that's something to be commended thank you i appreciate that for sure for sure all right. And so if y'all have any other questions about self-publishing and dealing with consoles and going to all that, the guys are in the Discord. And you are. I haven't even checked yeah, it today. Yeah, you are, they are in the Discord. Um, and so we've got the post-session chat in there. It's um, it's always great. No, wait, where where are y'all physically? What? Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts base. So we're, we're near Boston. Okay. So you, you actually have the... There is actually a, a community around there, so y'all can go out and do yep. you know small events when it's happening and, and that yeah. sort of stuff. Let's pretend you're not for a second. What resources and what places do you use to find some of these smaller shows and get-togethers that that you mentioned early on? It's it's it sounds like it sounds crazy, but we literally used to just search indie game meetups near near us, right? And the first ones that came up right away were things we didn't even know about. It was Boston Fig, was Boston Fistful Indie Gaming, and then uh, Playcrafting were two two of them. And both of those, you know, brought up really really awesome opportunities for us. And then when we went to Playcrafting because they had a branch in New York, we went to one of the shows in New York. So we started searching, you know, local indie shows in New York. That's when we found uh, Game Devs of Color. Um, and then we just kind of started searching around and there are little communities and meetup groups all over the place. And then like I was bringing up at the very beginning of the show, a lot of these groups also have sponsors. So like one of these groups might be sponsored by Microsoft or might be sponsored by Nintendo, which typically means that they will have some form of representation when they do hold meetups. So yeah, just, just search around and, you know, even virtual groups work as well. But again, it's not just a matter of, of joining the group and clicking join join and then meet people like shake hands say hi to people hey i'm so and so i'm an aspiring artist and i want to do this like you have to do that extra step of you know it's going to be awkward at first if you're not used to it and maybe it's not that'd be great but you know coding was awkward to me when i started too and you know that's that's just how new things go so just go out and try and, and don't assume that people aren't there 
watch because you don't see them. There are a lot of people lurking around everywhere in all of these groups because, you know, from the publisher side, we have to we have to know what's going on as well. We have to be able to see and, and, and pick new things that are coming out. All right. So next up, I'm going to, I have to look, like I said, folks, it's day three and my brain is, is shutting down. We've got a, uh, this is a perfect segue. We have a, an indie publisher Q and a panel coming up. So here we've been asking questions from the developer side of, of indie publishing. And in just a few minutes, We'll be right back, and we're going to be talking to the publisher side of, of indie publishing. So, Khalil, Ahmed, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And, you know, as a testament to the ability of networking, that's how we actually got you in the conference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Recommendation from, from someone else. So sure. thank you immensely for doing it. And if y'all ever need anything or you need to come back or you're ready to do another postmortem, you're always welcome. Sure. To everybody else out there, just stick around for about a minute and then we'll be right back with our next session. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.